All right, you chipmunks. Ready to do a podcast? Yeah, let's record one now. Okay, Kevin? Kevin? Kevin! Welcome back, listeners. My name is John. And I'm Kevin. This is Coffee and Consoles, episode numero cinco. Yes, number five. Number five. Out in time for the holidays. That's right. But we aren't exactly recording this during the holidays, are we? Don't share our secrets. No, we're going to let you in on a little secret. Kind of how the the sausage is made. Yeah. It is currently what... 95 degrees outside in the middle of July. No, it's no, not, no, no, not quite that bad. We not have it. We're about bad. a week away from carving the turkey. Yes. Thanksgiving to all those uh, non-states listeners. Can, yeah, Canada already had their Thanksgiving. Oh, yeah, that's true. I believe that. Yeah. And we've noticed we've already had a you know listener from Italy. Yes. Which could very well be a Cardoni family member. Yeah. It's, Perhaps. Yeah, family in Italy still? <laughs> Perhaps, you know. I think at one point on Facebook there was a uh, uh, like Cardoni family of the world group. <laughs> <laughs> did you join it? I did. Yeah, yeah all my, my brothers to. did too. Yeah, why not? The Cardonis of the world. Yeah. But we had a listener from Iceland. We do. Uh, which I'm pretty sure was just my brother who's visiting there. Still counts. When I texted him to <laughs> look, when I tell people we have an international audience, I'm using these statistics. Yes, we are using these single-digit statistics <laughs> indeed well from wherever you're listening we we appreciate it greatly that yes, you have indeed. taken the time to listen to our humble little podcast i, I think we only have uh, about 50 listeners Shh. so far i think there's a couple other zeros Fifty thousand. well there listeners. could be oh. by the time this launches yes i think this is going to be the one that really just like explodes well with <laughs> a banging intro like that yes. i don't see a reason why it couldn't just be a massive success. Yes. So this is kind of a holiday-themed episode. Oh, you know say. what? I forgot to get the eggnog. <sighs> we were supposed to be drinking eggnog while we recorded this. Kevin! Oh, no. Well, we got our coffee, though. Ever since Home Alone came out in the 90s, I've had to endure people screaming my name at the top of their I was going to say, yeah. Is that, that's probably been a thing you lived with Pretty all your par life. for the course, yeah. yeah. Well. It's all right. Tis the season. Tis the season, indeed. Even though we're not quite there yet, but we're going to pretend for today. But how have you been doing since well, we last spoke? I've been good. I've been good. Yeah. Got to gotta get us some uh, some scans done at the doctor. I think a little surgery might be in order. That's all right. No big deal. Should be recovering in about three to four weeks. So we'll, we'll see how that goes. But uh, other than that, just keeping the grind alive. I had a yeah, man. very short and random gig. Uh, with the bluegrass artist I worked with yesterday. Yeah, that's right, because we were supposed to record this yesterday. We were. Kind of, uh, bailed on me. I did. I got a, For a, a gig. text message <laughs> at 2 p.m. that said, what are you doing? <laughs> and I said, nothing. <laughs> See, for non-musicians, most of the time if you get a text message that starts off with, what are you doing? Some, you know... Probably dubious. Hanky panky yeah, sexy stuff not, might be starting up later on. Not too on. good. Not for us. No, it's not usually like, oh, can I make it there in time? You know, <laughs> what are you doing? Yeah. <laughs> My guitar player bail there. Exactly. <laughs> Our engineers. I need a sound engineer from four to eight. Yeah. Yeah, I think I can do it. <laughs> I guess I'll be there. It was it was a 
Celebration of Steel Guitars. So she played with a country band. Oh, that's instead cool. Instead of her bluegrass band. Yeah. And it was it was very interesting. I think I was the youngest one there by about 45 years, <laughs> which is kind of to be expected. And it was a good time, you know? Yeah. We did the show. Demographic. Yeah. She, uh, she, that's cool. Only yeah, she, you're saying it was like interesting. You Just interesting. I'm like, interesting good? Interesting yeah. bad? Yeah, it was just interesting. It wasn't The system they had was very, very small. The room was only set up for maybe, I don't know, 200 people or so. Mm-hmm. But they all paid 20 bucks to, to get in to see this thing. So, like, there is, like, some level of yeah, duty to, some... like, make the show sound good and, you know. Sure, you yes, People definitely. paid money to see this. People actually paid to come in here. <laughs> so, we had this tiny little analog board. I think it was only 16 channels and like, you know, four stereo channels at the end. So like technically, I think they said it was like 24 channels, but like practically it was not. Not really. It was like practically it was like 18 channels and we just had monitors and Rhonda brought her ears. So, uh, that's cool. Was it a pretty big band? Yeah. Seal, uh, steel guitar, yeah. drums, bass, acoustic guitar and electric guitar. Okay. This kid named William, man, he he plays the electric guitar. He actually recorded on Rhonda's latest single. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm blanking on the name. I I'm tracked it and mixed it, and I can't remember. <laughs> you can't even think of the name. Can't, can't think of the name. It's because I'm on the spot. But he he yeah uh, he's 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 a smoking guitar player, man. Oh, that's he, cool. He's he's only 21, and he he rocks. Forget his last name too. Plays, I was gonna say like I'm wondering who this is, William. Uh, yeah, he's a real real country William. looking looking guy he wears like one of those trucker hats you know with yeah. like the mesh back and the solid front oh well william if you happen to be listening <laughs> you're very good at guitar william call in <laughs> call in william we'll bring you on the podcast he did play a telly with a humbucker though and i was like man there you go hey man there's something to be said about that i'm, I'm always giving yeah. john a hard time because he, he likes to play rock and roll on his uh telly with with single coils but in my defense <laughs> <laughs> we were usually jumping to the next set of songs pretty quickly that I can't even switch guitars. That's true. So the, the, the show is like a train. Yes, it is. It does it not just, stop easily. Just keeps on rolling. And when it gets off the tracks, Maybe that metaphor works too. <laughs> yeah, we're really in trouble then. But hey, so a funny story about a telecaster. Well, we can start this off with just like a random story. All right. And plus I promised a friend of mine that I would tell this story in at least the first five episodes, or Uh-oh. else you're barely making it. I know, I know. I'm pretty sure I haven't told this story yet, though. Uh, and he said if I didn't, he would give us like a one star review. So oh, stay away know, from the I one know, star reviews. No, no one stars. That would sink us at this point. <laughs> yes. So before I had the Telecaster I have now, Tim Rocco, custom made Telecaster. I was borrowing one from my father-in-law, and this was back when I lived in Illinois, and. In a band, uh, original four-piece band, kind of alt-country-esque. And we're up in Chicago. We weren't out of Chicago. We're more central Illinois, central of the state. But we'd make it up to Chicago every once in a while, maybe every couple months at least. And we started to get this uh, string of boat gigs. Like they'd have a boat, you know, along the lake and, you know, like boat tours and such. Sure. And they'd have entertainment on the top floor. And so one of those boat gigs, like, you know, I had my whole family up too. And I think some of our other friends came up and they all got on the boat and we're doing our, you know, set on the boat and I'm playing my uh, father-in-law's 
Telecaster. I think this is like an old 80s Japanese telly, if I'm not mistaken, made in Japan telly, which are pretty decent instruments. Like a lot of that stuff that was made in Japan, especially in the 70s and 80s, well-crafted. So, and this is something that I never remember, but this friend of mine, Micah, if you're listening, and I know you are, yeah, you're probably not. This he is for you. Be. He always gives me shit about this every single time. Like, it's probably fair to say I had a few drinks during the set, during playing, and at the end, I think we ended with Voodoo Child, you know, the slight, ah. re- slight reprise, of course. Hendrix's Voodoo Child. And usually we go on for minutes, you know, five, ten minutes jamming on that thing. And so that was our last song. We ended it, you know, final chord. And at this point, I had this sudden instinct to just take the telly off and throw it over the ledge. Oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) But, and this is where, you know, like memories of stories, like to them, it's as if I was like throwing it off the boat into, you know, Lake Michigan, which did not happen. I like threw it off to the side because there's a, a bunch of like almost like tarps. So I knew it was going to be landing safely. I just thought it would kind of look cool. Like, yeah, toss my guitar off. Just chuck that thing off the boat. But like he just thought like I was like throwing it over the... <laughs> He's your, like, now the question is, was your father-in-law on the boat? No, he was not there. I don't think I ever told him about this. <laughs> so if you're listening now, John's father-in-law... The telly was okay. It was okay. It did land fairly safely on like all this, you know, tarp that was like off to the side. But every single time, better better to throw a telly on some tarps than to say drive your Corvette into a swimming pool. Yeah, if it, if you had to choose between the two, that sounds like maybe something <laughs> something something Keith Moon might have done. Yeah, yeah. I'm not sure if it was a Corvette, but okay. I thought it was maybe going to be like a you know. Secret story of yours. No, no, like, no, no. Borrowed <laughs> a friend's family Corvette. A friend of mine, a Mr. Moon. <laughs> yeah, apparently he drove a, a car into a swimming pool at one point. <laughs> so it's kind of like that, except for a telly. And, yeah, it's and, basically kind of the same thing. Yeah. yeah. So, Micah, that's for you. The two are analogous. The old telly over the boat <laughs> story. But I'm not playing a telly today. You are not? What do you got there? No. So this is maybe my pride and joy of the collection of instruments that I have. It's a 1980 Ibanez AS200. And for those, if you'd like to look at a picture of them, it would basically look like what? A Gibson ES335. Yes, indeed. Yes. With the, uh, not the the red, the cherry red, but this is like the sunburst. I will say though, to the... Guitar enthusiast, you would you would pretty much notice right off the bat that one the headstock is different, but yeah, two the, the inlays are much much inlays bigger. Inlays are different too. Yeah, but the init- the basic body setup of it yeah, is like a three thirty five electric Spanish style. Yes, yeah. guitar. And this was before the whole Gibson. At some point in the probably early or mid eighties, I'm gonna really, guess eighty four. Eighty four. Okay. Yeah, you can look it up. But that's when they really went after trademarks of their body types and everything. And Ibanez was fairly known to do uh, many like Les Paul and ripoffs of their body. But this is, yeah, Ibanez AS200. I bought it up in Chicago when I found it on eBay. And uh, just drove up that day from Chicago, like a three-hour drive. 
went to the used guitar sh- store, laid down 1,200 smackers for it. Woo! And came back. It was even in a crappy case. And this is, this is like 15 years ago. 77 so. is when the lawsuit against Ibanez. Oh, that's when that started? Yes. Well, this is... Uh, but you know how long a lawsuit's take. Yeah, that probably took a while until it was settled because there are many... Uh, it was late 70s, early 80s, Ibanez are all kind of Gibson ripoffs as far as just the you know, shapes of them. And word on the street, and you can speak to this because you own one, is that these guitars are excellent guitars. They are, yeah, very much so. It sounds great. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it plays really well. And I bought it, actually, because when I was younger, I was a huge John Schofield fan, and this is the exact type of guitar that he... Oh, mostly played and was known for was the Ibanez AS200. Eventually, Ibanez made their own like Schofield model that's basically like this with a couple other modifications. I, I think there's like an extra switch somewhere. But yeah, this is pretty cool. It does have like a funky like a coil tap feature oh, for the uh, interesting the neck. I didn't know pickups. they were doing that back back then. Yeah, it's weird though if you hear it. So this is the full humbucker in the neck. And then, not much of a difference. But then you you have a third position. Oh, the output is barely like any output. Anything. Yeah, it's really it's really weird. So here's I don't, a, I don't here's mess a, with it. Here's a question <laughs> for you. Maybe maybe you don't know, but on my I won't <laughs> my fifty four. The, there was two pickups, but functionally there was only one pickup. The other pickup was actually inside of the bridge, or it was the bridge essentially. And so, like a piezo or not? I'm not sure what type of it was, uh, but the the guy at where I was buying the guitar from, uh, Groom Guitars mm-hmm. here in Nashville, he said that basically it was a feedback killer, and that it wasn't actually meant to be used. So I wonder if that's maybe the sort of a similar idea with that switch maybe yeah or if you're getting like a bunch you of feedback switch it and just like kill a kill it. switch almost yeah perhaps red button <laughs> yeah that's weird i don't know could I wonder. be more research i never required. used it for anything i think once i might have used it for like because there's still a little bit of output you can almost get like a jangly sort of like a big band era like Yeah, there's still something coming out of it. Yeah. Anyway. Interesting. I'm going to have to get me one of those guitars. Don't tell my wife. <laughs> well, at one of our local stores, uh, Carter Vintage, shout out to them. They had a uh, 78. It wasn't the semi-hollow body. It was like the the full, uh, it was a solid body. Oh, it's a solid body. Yeah, it was a solid body. Interesting. Kind of very, you know, just like a slightly smaller shape than what this is. But. You say if it was that size, it would be really heavy <laughs> yeah yeah body. oh yeah yeah no no so yeah brought this out figured it'd be a uh, appropriate for today's selection which i believe is mine again it is this is john's pick so please yeah. direct all your angry <laughs> fan mail at him if you couldn't tell by our intro the song we are doing is the chipmunk song yes in parentheses christmas don't be late christmas don't be late but and i picked it out of just initially searching 
for a couple of things, like trying to find out, like, you know, I wonder what was the first song that won a Grammy for engineering? That sort of thing. And then it came across this one. And if I'm not mistaken, I think it's actually the first year of the Grammys. Is well, that year. would make sense if it was. The, and this was the, the first course. one that won for non well classical. That's a good yeah. Because I feel like the non classical distinction for engineering probably came after the Grammy Association was established. Yeah. So it yeah. probably wasn't the first Maybe Grammy not the full ceremony. First, yeah. Um, could be wrong, but I, I might have read that mistakenly somewhere. But anyway recorded or at least released in 1958 so we just passed the 60 year mark for this song uh but it did win a grammy for best engineering for a non-classical performance no you're you were you were correct the first uh grammy ceremony was held on may 4th 1959 oh, there you go yeah interesting yeah so maybe that was uh meaning for the first ceremony maybe they gave them out beforehand but just into a ceremony but interestingly yeah. that that would have been that would have been for music that was released in 1958. Yes. Yeah. So, which this one was. So. This was released in 58. Yep. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So got that, and so I saw that. I'm like, oh, that's kind of weird and interesting. Like a Christmas song, but the Chipmunk Christmas song chipmunk, won a Grammy. That's right. Well, back in those <laughs> days, you know, a little bit more difficult to pitch shift than. Yes, which we had we'll get into because that, that and that was the fun thing to talk about. I thought was this whole <laughs> like the novelty of this song, but the thought and especially on the engineering side of things that had to go into it, and actually probably in the performance side of too to kind of like planning out how to do this. Oh yeah, everyone had to work kind of in tandem with one another, which isn't necessarily unique. Of course, everyone is a team, but but this is really like. You really got to have your ducks in a row or yeah. else you have timing issues and all sorts of weird things. Yeah, it's kind of hard to calculate in a sense. But before we get into that, like here's a little bit of, I don't know, some interesting background. So initially, I always just thought Alvin and the Chipmunks started off as a cartoon. And I wouldn't be surprised to think that probably most, especially maybe my generation, thought that just, you know, most things would start as a cartoon, maybe that sort of thing. But no, they started off as this recording. This is the first introduction to the chipmunks, the idea of Alvin, Simon, Theodore, the chipmunks. So Um, poor Alvin never had a chance then. He never had a chance. And so it's, you know, you don't really hear of like a whole IP or you could call it a franchise, I suppose, but something like starting off as a musical recording and then going off into, you know, cartoons and movies and, you know, books and such and such TV shows, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. So it's credited as Dave Seville and the Chipmunks. And Dave Seville is just a stage name for the actual writer of the song and the one who did all the voices at least for this initial recording. He did all the chipmunk voices. And his name is, and I'm going to butcher this last name, <laughs> Ross Bagdasarian, I think. I wonder why he had a stage name. <laughs> and perhaps that. Um, and I guess reading, you know, he was an Armenian-American. So maybe, you know, especially back then, anyone who had any sort of like a quote-unquote ethnic-sounding last name, they could, 
they'd change it, you know. Right, yeah. So uh, he went by the stage name Dave Seville. But this wasn't his first hit even, which actually, you know, the Christmas song, the Chipmunk Christmas song went to number one, if I'm not mistaken. So it was a big hit, um, sold millions of copies. Um, but he wrote a song previously before that called The Witch Doctor. So I was asking you if you had heard that song before. I didn't until you started singing it. Yes. And then I realized. Which I think we can sing it together. Ooh, ee, ooh, ah, ah, tank, tank, what, what, a bang, bang. Ooh, ee, ooh, ah, ah, tank, tank, what, what, a bang, bang. Oh, oh, we got f***ed up. I think it changes like that, yeah. So that whole song, which um, I think- That was like, not rehearsed, by the way. No, that not was, rehearsed. It was awesome. <laughs> I know you probably couldn't tell from our flawless performance. Yeah. So uh, he did that song, too. He wrote it and sang it. And on that song as well is the pitch shifted vocals. Like the ooh-ee part is actually ooh-ee, ooh-ah, you know, that mm. high, you know, chipmunky voice. So he was already messing with like tape speeds back then and like recordings. Um, and then he also was like a co-writer for a song sang by uh, Rosemary Clooney, who we were like, she has to be related to George Clooney somehow. I guess their aunt nephew is the relationship. So he had some success before this chipmunk song. Um, but this thing kind of blew up though and became and just you know garnered him a lot of success. They would, you know, obviously do on go on to make you know, like full Christmas recordings and I think he not mistaken, I think he uh, like appeared on like American Bandstand back in the day in the Ed Sullivan show. I don't know how he would have done that. He probably had like background singers at that point. But then uh, he eventually, he died somewhat early in 1972, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, wow. And then his uh, his son went on to kind of like carry on the mantle of the chipmunks, I suppose. Ah. And they would eventually have like an actual like singing group doing each of the voices, you know, of Simon Theodore and Alvin, which guess where those names came from? I have no idea. Neither do I. No, I do. So he just came up with those names after the executives at Liberty Records, which released the the song. I see. Yeah, there's like an Alvin Bennett, Simon, oh, Warnker, and Theodore Keep. So like the three execs at the record label, he just named his chipmunks after them. I'm uh, sure that's, you know, can't be brown nosing at all. <laughs> <laughs> but it's just kind of interesting. Like, you know, he had success with Witch Doctor. And in an interview, he just said, like, he just wanted to write a Christmas song. And so he kind of came up with this melody. He couldn't write music at all. Like, you know, he couldn't write anything. So he would just, like, go to tape machines and record himself, like, whistling melodies or, you know, singing songs if he had the lyrics already. And that would be kind of like his journal, kind of keep track of it. So I'm assuming someone would have had to have, like, arranged this. I haven't found the credit for that. I'm sure it's somewhere. Probably some poor guy just cleaning yeah. up the studio or something. <laughs> I was the one who put the trombone in there. Yeah. <laughs> who knows? Yeah. One thing about this song is wh- whether you love or hate the kind of gimmicky chipmunk voices, it, it's actually the melody is actually quite infectious. Like we we listened to it on a on a trip down <laughs> in North Carolina. We we're singing it for the rest of the weekend. <laughs> yeah, it's like that earworm. It just kind of sticks with you. Like, I was a uh, playing a gig last night downtown and 
Did you play we're, it? We're already like teasing uh, Christmas carol tunes, like within, you know, guitar solos or within songs. So <laughs> I played that at one point. And, and they're like, everyone's like, I know what that is. I can't place it. I'm like, is that, you know, is that, I saw mommy kissing Santa Claus or like, no. I think, I think my challenge to you, and unfortunately our listeners will not get to get to hear this, is to insert the Chipmunk song in every show from now until Christmas. <laughs> we have a good five, six weeks of that. Oh, man. Challenge accepted. That'll be, that'll be fun yes. for me. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, it's a very like catchy melody. Um, and overall, like fairly simple, like harmonic progression, some standard moves of the day. Which like we can get into after we talk about the the tape looping stuff, but yeah, it's just kind of interesting. Like he decided to write a Christmas song, ends up coming up with this melody and writes the w- words, and then he starts to think that I feel like you know some animals should be singing the song, and he was going through animals in his head, and then eventually settled on chipmunks. So I imagine that's where the whole like tape speed effect then came into effect. You know, came to his mind, but. Yeah, let's talk about, yeah, it's gimmicky to our ears these days and probably somewhat nostalgic too. It's very much of its time. But the process to get those however many octaves high voices are and harmonized too. Like you have, you know, like three-part harmonies. Well, I think it's just one octave higher. Is it just one octave higher? I think unless unless they recorded the band at seven and a half Mm -hmm. uh, ips then they could go up to, I don't think they had 30 ips in 1958 though. I think they only had know. seven and a half and 15. <laughs> yeah. So I think it's just one octave high. Itch, it, little ips being. Uh, inches per second. Yes. Yeah, that's the shorthand of, of saying that when you're trying to set up your tape for recording. Yes. But yeah, so I, I, think, I think the band must have been recorded at seven and a half with mm-hmm. the singers. But well, no, because we were talking about this, and they must have sang it twice as slow, yeah, as well as. So, and I was trying to find like very specific information on this, like a weird rabbit hole of you know researching the Chipmunk Christmas song, which this should be much better things to do with my time sometimes. But all I could find was that you know they just would record it with the tape playing at half speed. Right. It, but then also sing it slower than two. Yes. So then once it's played at regular speed, so it's probably a couple octaves higher, you think? I that think sounds it's only high. I think it's only one. Yeah. I that's, think it's only one. Because in the intro that you everyone just heard, that's one octave high. That's one octave high. That's one octave. Okay. Yeah. So then okay, there so we go then. Imagine another octave on top of that would be like Yeah. And actually that I think wouldn't dogs make sense because then that would mean you'd have to have sang it like four times as slow rather right. than half the speed. So, But even singing this at half the speed would, would be, oh my gosh, laborious to say, you know, the least. I wonder how many times I had to practice singing it twice as slow. I mean, you'd, and, you know, what if they recorded the accompaniment first or did that after the fact, you know, that I almost think like, I think you have to record the voices. A metronome first. would had to have been yeah. into effect. Record the voices point. to yeah. a metronome and then add the band because yeah. they can't sing to the music because it's gonna be the tempo yeah. will be too quick. Yeah, it must have. But I mean, there's a good reason why this actually won uh, best engineered because it sure. was actually a, quite the challenge back in 
exactly yeah and not just having the voice just you know talking because you know this effect has been around had been around for a while like going back to the wizard of oz and the chipmunks not the chipmunks sorry the munchkins <laughs> in the wizard of oz they did the same effect with the the tape speed on the vocals so but, it took three days and nine tape tracks i think it came across that same yeah. thing yeah nine tape tracks yeah so that's kind of interesting you know which we know from our beatles conversation that they uh only had four at this time oh yeah in the 50s i believe so <laughs> he was he was burning through the tape no, back then no kidding <laughs> so yeah so that's a little bit about ross and his uh his whole invention of Dave Seville and the Chipmunks. It's kind of I find it kind of interesting that this guy comes over. Well, he, he I assume he was an immigrant, or was he born in America? I th- think no, I think he was born here. I'm not sure about that. I know he moved once he grew up. He moved his family to Hollywood, but it might have been like you know, one of his parents was from was a Mark. Yeah, Armenian, I, I would guess the other one was that he he. he and was they were like raised here because yeah. he has no accent when he yeah speaks. No. yeah so I think he was born here and uh, grew up as like they were like grape farmers I think <laughs> grape <laughs> they, farmers really yeah, then he moved his family to Hollywood because he actually wanted to be an actor like that was his thing but eventually found himself writing chipmunk songs <laughs> that's just kind of the way it goes sometimes yeah. I guess that's but they were huge though I mean they end up doing you know there's a whole like chipmunks do the Beatles album that was. Oh man, a success. Yeah. <laughs> I think he even got a oh I thought I saw somewhere that like Paul McCartney might have like at least, you know, gave him kind of like a like yeah, yeah, go ahead, you know, like do the, you know, cuz he would have had to have permission to record Beatles songs, so he somehow got permission from them. <laughs> <laughs> well, did he need permission? Well, what have true. we learned, John? Yeah, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, technically, you don't need permission <laughs> in the eyes of the law. You just have to make sure you pay them according to the... True, yeah. It's called the statutory rate. I want to say that, yes. that very clearly. With statutory rate. Yeah. <laughs> oh. But most of the time, people ask because it's the polite thing to do. And yeah. that's what the music in- industry is all about, being mm-hmm. polite, he I says just, with a smile. I mean, just think like this song, like by the mid-1960s, they sold like over 25 million copies of this. Wow. Yeah. I mean, he hit If you the just big get time. 25 million streams, with, which cost people nothing, that's kind no, of a big yeah, deal. Yeah, that was. To sell 25 yeah, sell, million copies of a, re- of a single. Yeah, over, you know, six, seven years by that point. And it still lived on from there. But yeah, then, like we said, like he ended up, Ross died fairly young at the age of 52 of a sudden heart attack but then you know as we know the chipmunks have lived on like for a while his son kind of managed them and at that point i think his son mob did one of the voices or at least the voice of the you know the human character dave Seville, oh, okay. not mistaken but they did have like singers start to like sub in for, as you know for the chipmunks <laughs> that kind of makes sense especially if they're doing heavy three-part harmony stuff that can get pretty yeah. involved so that's a little bit about background we talked about how to achieve that sound with the 
tape effect. Yeah. So nowadays, versus these days, yeah. <laughs> if you want to get that effect, <laughs> what you do is you go to your pitch shift <laughs> plugin, which comes standard in basically every yeah. digital audio workstation, and you go to twelve semi steps or uh, half steps, mm-hmm. and uh, you hit okay and that, you did your, it that's your octave yeah. but i will say because it's done with tape you can hear a, a little bit of like flanging and, and phasing yeah. going on so if you really wanted to make a believable kind of throwback you would have to kind of add in a little yeah. bit of that effect as well so i wonder movement. in the box you'd probably throw that after the fact after the pitch shift if you wanted to throw in a little flange i would do it not, after the yeah, pitch shift not before that'd be weird. you could play i mean i mean that'd Function, yeah, functionally, I don't know if you could really tell that much yeah. of a difference to like really like oh. sit there and labor over it mm-hmm. for an hour. But yeah. it's just crazy, like you know, something that took you a couple seconds and a couple clicks of the mouse, you know, would have taken, I mean, all day to they achieve. Spent, they spent like, three days, recording yeah, three it. days recording all those. Like, and you're thinking about like, what's the tempo of the song going to be? So let's do that half speed, you know, at trying to sing that song at half the speed is like crazy to try to even It's kind of interesting, right? Because <laughs> it kind of highlights the the fact that it's so much easier to make music now. It's so much easier yeah. to get your ideas out, but but that leads to a abundance of we'll call it noise. You That's know? true. Yeah, it's so much saturation. Yeah, so now you have the problem of how do you get heard above the noise floor of just yeah. the world, you know, re- everyone recording music and stuff. But it's, yeah, but I mean, 50, 60 years ago, like, it still has to start off with an idea. I have a song idea. I have a melody. And then, oh, no, I want to do this sort of thing. I want to have this sound. Like, oh, that might require a whole bunch of other like logistical hurdle, yeah, hurdles. Yeah, got to pay for the studio engineers. We'd just and... be like, oh, let's see if that affects in the the menu. <laughs> see if I have that plugin. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, you can basically achieve any sort of creative idea you have within yeah. minutes which is cool. So for the any of our non-musician listeners, let's talk real br- briefly about what do we mean by an octave? Let's get into the, yeah, why not? Ah. Because that's essentially what's happening, the pitch shifting the vocals up an octave, which ah. is like if anyone look at a piano, you just go from key to key to key, left to right, hitting, you know, white key, black key, white key, black key, white key, white key, you know never skipping any key on the piano. Those are half steps. Once you count up 12, you're at an octave. Don't count the first one, though. No. I can't tell you how many times I have to tell guitar students to, like, go up three frets, and they're counting one at the one that they're already on. Like, no, you don't count that one. You're already there. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, you're already there. If I tell you to take a step, do you just stand still? Like, you take a step. That's one step. If I tell you to take two steps, you go right, left. Same with, you know... In music, go up two half steps, you move, you know, two times, essentially. <laughs> it's one of those funny, you know, teaching things that you just notice all the time. Does like, it grind your gears? It really grinds my gears. <laughs> but going up an octave, what is that really? Well, you're... From the engineering side, from the kind of the technical side, that's I mean, from the engineering doing... side, it's a doubling of pitch, which doubling functionally... Of... It's doubling a frequency. Yeah, the frequency. In in a musical term sense, it's basically the same thing. You're, let's say you're on G. You go from, say, G3 to G4, and 
the three four is just to it's a basically a shorthand to kind of clue you in on where on the scale we're talking about yeah which octave yeah oh, oh yeah the octave exactly yeah <laughs> and you know someone piano players know this all the time you know you have all the way down to the bottom like basically covers most of our octave labeling that we probably do <laughs> mm-hmm. um and you know when we say like today like our standing calibration for tuning is a440 so that means an a note who's what's what's the that that technical term for the bass frequency or the not the bass like the prime frequency or the um fundamental the that's fundamental, what they, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the fundamental is what we hear as pitch you know like every sound we hear is actually there's multiple frequencies going on yes but that fundamental one is what we would sing back to someone you know yeah, that's what we what really we're hear perceiving that we're perceiving and and the harmonics that exist within that that are over the fundamental that are over that are and higher. under that that just changes the timbre of yeah. what we're hearing so you're not really perceiving two separate notes even though there is more than one harmonic or frequency yeah. playing at a time. And the harmonic uh, pattern, what's it, oh, the harmonic... Uh, well, there's even an odd, yeah, like, harmonic structures yeah. for distortion, but distortion is kind of a different thing than just straight up mm-hmm. harmonics in a note. Because harmonics in a note, well, I guess technically distortion, it follows a, it's a formula, essentially. Yeah, yeah. So you can calculate where these things exist in space and time. Mm-hmm. But basically, yeah, when we say octave in music, that's the the doubling of the fundamental frequency. Yeah. We tune to A440, so that means we're at an A note, 440 hertz. If you play the A note below that, the next A note, it'd be 220. Mm-hmm. Then the next one below that would be 110. The next one below that would be 55. And that's your low A string on a bass guitar is the A at 55 hertz. Yeah, you the might. low string on the a regular tune guitar would be one ten. Yeah, yeah. Um, close think, to one ten. Yeah, rarely is it anything perfect. Yeah, it's not. You know, we kind of round up. <laughs> it's like taxes. You round to the nearest dollar when you're. <laughs> yes, that's what we do with taxes. <laughs> but guitar players, I don't know why I'm going off on this tangent. I just thought it'd be you know talking about pitch shifting and octaves. Like guitar players, I think it's important we actually kind of have the harmonic pattern or the harmonic uh sequence on our guitar presently like because we when we think of harmonics on guitar it's you know our open string harmonics what we call them and a lot of when we in the engineering side i guess when we say harmonics the other term people commonly use is like overtones that's what they what yeah. Kind of it means guess, the same thing in their head, you know, but the true term is what people call harmonics, not overtones. But that sequence, like, it's on the guitar though. Like, I have an open string, my open A. If I pluck at the 12th fret, which 12 being an octave, that's an octave higher. If I pluck the harmonic at that same 12th fret, same pitch, an octave higher. So that represents, that would actually be the first harmonic of that fundamental, right? And then my seventh fret is up a fifth. That would be the second harmonic. Fifth fret is at the octave again, so that's the third harmonic. 
So of any tone, like the harmonics we hear, is a fundamental, an octave above that, then a fifth above that, and then the next octave of that. So it's basically just like a power chord, in mm-hmm. a sense. Yeah, you know, it's what we... That's there that we don't really hear, but it's part of that. And then you get into like the the thirds and the sevenths and... Yeah, all the crazy yeah. stuff. But it's right there on guitar. Any guitar, any open, or I guess any stringed instrument, you have your harmonic sequence there from the, what would be the 12th to the 7th fret, 5th fret, 4th fret, and then you get into those in-between things. John, what about pinched harmonics? Pinched harmonics? I guess that, no, that's still an open string. I don't think I could get that with a... Probably, hang on, hang on, I got you. Get it. Uh, not quite. Yeah. Go, John, go! There we go. Completely, completely irrelevant and different. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I did enjoy turning John John's Ibanez into a uh, metal death machine. <laughs> anyway, that's enough about that. We probably lost all of our listeners <laughs> our, on our the deep octave dive talk. on octaves. Yeah, but that was actually kind of an eye-opening thing for me, like when I was a music student, because I didn't really fully understand what an octave was and what. The harmonic it's, sequence well, it's, was. Well, it's very important to under, kind of understand that, especially as you start building chords and start understanding chord theory, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. You kind of yeah. need to And need it to relates to the same thing of why if you take on the piano, like play two keys in the lower octaves right next to each other, that sounds so muddy and gross, but you can take those same two keys all the way up to the upper octaves on the piano, play them together, it's not nearly as muddy or gross. It's, it's much more... It might be a little maybe defined. shrill, but it's not going to be... And you can almost make them more almost pretty sounding because their frequencies are wider apart than what the the low octave notes are. Like, as you get lower, like, you know, the difference between one note to another note might be a few, you know, a couple frequencies or a couple of hertz right and then the yeah. higher up you go in the octaves it's that exponential factor like yeah and i wonder if there ha- anything like that has to i'm gonna start that over again and i wonder if that has to do with as you get higher in pitch the fre- the wavelength of the frequency also gets shorter yes so if you play two low notes on a piano those wavelengths will just kind of swirl around your head because the the wavelengths are so long, where yeah, they're very long. Once you get to the top there, they kind of fizzle out after a few feet. So maybe there's not quite as much intertwining of the yeah sound waves. True. Yeah, like the the potential dissonance doesn't just doesn't last as long. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So I wonder if it's a combination of of both physical properties uh, of sound waves and also just how notes. Mm-hmm. R. Yeah. <laughs> those like, are words. I know. Those are words. Like, take this, uh, like these. Not great sounding. Two notes half step apart. But then I can play those two other notes, those same two notes, uh, one, three octaves higher. And I can make it kind of pretty. Yeah. Not nearly as dissonant sounding as. Right. Yeah. Yeah, Same two note names, but you know, the difference of octaves can kind of 
change our perception of dissonance and consonance. And that relates to the chipmunks, <laughs> bringing it back around, <laughs> of how those high-pitched vocals aren't nearly as ear-piercing as you may think. <laughs> but they actually, they kind I don't of think, I don't think they're too they're, ear-piercing. No, they're not too bad. Yeah, they're, oh. they're all right. <laughs> oh, man, anything else? I, don't, I mean, I think we've covered the standard 1950s yeah. recording technique. It would have been a live band in a room with just a few mics. Yeah. Probably no more than four tracks. Yeah. Uh, on the final, you know, mix down of the, of the song. But I, I actually kind of like, I, I found that when I was listening to this song, I like listening to it in mono better because. Cause it would have been the, released one of, mixed no, in mono probably. It would have been. Yeah. Yes. Um, but one of the chipmunks is on the left, and the other two are on the right, or vice versa. I can't. can't oh, it's actually the other yeah. way around. One's on the right, and the other two are on the left. And it, for some reason, it bothers me, especially when you notice it. Yeah. So I hadn't listened to it with the uh, headphones in, so I've never noticed the separation. Yeah, it's it's kind of it's kind of once you hear it, it's one of those things where you wish you didn't hear it. Yeah, it bothers you. So I wonder if that's Alvin by himself. Probably (laughs) poor Alvin. Like I said, he never had a chance. Like from the get go, they're screaming his name, making him into this bad guy. It's so it's so weird. Like this, like there's almost like a backstory created from this one song that you know spurs a whole thing with Alvin and the Chipmunks. Right. (laughs) Yeah, he never had a chance. Well, sir, I don't know if there's much else to talk about this. Kind of a short episode, but sometimes sometimes you need the short and sweet ones. Short and sweet. I think when this is out, most people, you know, maybe uh, at least here in the States, gathering together with families, you know, having some good Christmas dinners, opening up some gifts, maybe uh, avoiding snow if possible. or Avoiding snow or family members. Or family members. (laughs) There you go. Like here in Nashville, we don't really get much snow at all. Well, we got some. We did about it, yeah, three days ago. Yeah, I mean, about a, I don't know, quarter of an inch. Oh man, and it was the dusting. worst because I realized that night that I legitimately had no food. Not like, oh, it's gonna snow. I better get food. It was like I actually just don't have food to make dinner tonight. Oh, so I had to go to the store. Uh, but don't worry, I want everyone to know I got my milk and my bread. Because Staples. Everyone knows in a snowstorm the things that will sustain you. Yeah, milk and bread. Milk and bread. <laughs> I don't. For for those of you who don't live in the South, it, it's kind of a meme at this point. It's hilarious. Whenever there's the threat of snow, everyone rushes to the store and buys milk and bread. Yeah, it makes no sense. They're all gone. Like, what about water and just like canned food? That's probably the the way to go. Yeah. Right. But, uh. Milk and bread. That's that's what we're after here. Me, it's like uh, like chips and salsa and beer. <laughs> John's like, oh, I got lit up on my beer. Keeps you warm. It does keep you keeps you keeps your perfect perception of warmth. Yes, yeah, right. And that's what's important. <laughs> exactly. Well, if you would like to email us, please do so at coffee and consoles. That's C O N S O. L-E-S at gmail.com. <laughs> I had to think of it. You actually did have someone ask you, oh, how do you spell that? I did. I was telling someone about the podcast. See, John was saying, I think there's only one way to spell consoles. I don't. I, our listeners are smart enough to know. And I said, they, they, they are smart. We have the smartest listeners of we all do. time. All four of you. Yes. Very smart. But it, we should still spell it because I want to I hear their thoughts and their feedback, you know, just in yeah. case. And Let us know how much of a waste of time this episode was on the 
Chipmunk Christmas song. You can also find us on Instagram. We have an Instagram now. Officially, we haven't done anything with it yet, really. But we are... Well, by the time this comes out, who knows? Hopefully, maybe, who knows? But we are, are on Instagram. Give us a shout out there. And as always, uh, this has been Coffee and Consoles. My name's John. I'm Kevin. Long days and pleasant nights, my friends. If you enjoyed the podcast, please go and rate and subscribe on whichever platform you're listening on. Thank you very much. See you next time.